Hello, I'm Omar Gutierrez, and I'll be reading the Our Miami, the Magic City documentary. It was released in 1994. This time, I'll be narrating from the documentary series. Here we go. Enjoy. Before the match that all may and the vast continents of the new world populated by the Europeans, there was a surf and the crying of gulls and the curve of the coast in this crease. Human beings, this name Indians, came more than 10,000 years ago. They built their homes, cypress lawns, and palmetto fronts, hoped to catch the breeze. Rivers and bays provided abundance of food, as well as shell were used to fashion tools, weapons, and jewelry. Yet the sea, just as them, became the highway of their despest here. In fifteen sixty six, shits the flag of Spain shits barred the flag of Spain into Biscayne Bay and found these native people, the Spanish called the Tesca Indians, living at the mouth of the small river named Miami. Being sweet. The following year, Pedro Mendez de Beavers, the founder of St. Augustine, came to the Miami River to visit the soldiers and Jesuit missionaries who built a mission in the Tetesca village that include 28 houses and a fort. Jesuit brother Bill Rayall wrote the problems facing the missionaries for three months. Half of the three months more in picking this care so so bad. I spent several days and nights without being able to sleep in an hour. I tried to make the Indian like me as a reference command, but a real core. Although Spain never established permanent settlement in Southwark, the Spanish remained friendly with the Detescas. As the years went by, European diseases and trouble warfare reduced the Indian population to less than 500 people. In 1763, when Spain lost possession to Florida to England, the last of the Tetescas left for Havana with the Spanish, rather living under British rule. South Florida was now deserted. The beautiful waters surrounding the coastal floor were dangerously inviting. Working below the surface that lay the great Florida reef, the graveyard for many centuries. In the late 18th century, enterprising men from the Bahamas sailed to Florida to salvage of these ill-fated ships. Many of these men were called records, became South Florida's first Parliament residence. After the United States acquired Florida from Spain in 1821, North Florida settlers drove the native creek southward. They became known as the Seminole, as Seminoles, which it means renegade. Runaway slaves joined the Seminoles and found they had century with them in an exploratory wild of the Everglades. In 1825, the federal government built the Cape Florida Lighthouse to warn sailors from the beginning of the reef. The lighthouse was the first permanent structure of Biscayne Bay and the beginning of the frontier settlement.
the Seminoles their backs to the sea fought desperately to avoid removal. On December 28, 1835, Major Francis Langhorn Dave and, and his 112 men were ambushed and killed. In response, the United States declared war on the Seminoles. Two months later, the four legislatures created a new county and named for the following hero. By summer, everyone in Dade County fled for the keys for safety, except like housekeeper Aaron Thompson and his black assistant Aaron Carter. Late one July afternoon, Thompson noticed movement in a nearby jungle. He and Carter ran into the lighthouse for safety as the Seminoles opened fire. The fight rage. Fires forced Thompson and Carter to retreat to the top of the tower. In desperation, Thompson rolled the keg of gunpowder down the shaft. The explosion destroyed the stairs and put out the fire. The next day, sailors from the passage, the passage schooner, the USSS model, rescued Thompson. Still smoldering, the lighthouse was abandoned. The last white man had departed. After the destruction of the lighthouse, the Navy opened a small outpost on Cape's Cane. Two years later, the Army took it over and moved on to the Miami River and renamed it Fort Dallas. During the law ongoing conflict of the Seminoles, William F. English, who came from South Carolina, bought more than 2,000 acres on both sides of the Miami River. He built a large home and quarters for his slaves. In 1843, he pawned a village and he called Miami to give a free lawn to anyone build a house and move there. The resumption of the Seminole Wars in 1849 ended English schemes for his new city. The U.S. Army returned and reopened Fort Dallas and his abandoned buildings. In 1858, the government called a ceasefire and allowed and allowed the renamed Seminoles to stay in Florida. Three years later, the Civil War broke out, and South Florida came under the came under the Confederate blockade. Once again, Miami's future stood still. Soon after the Civil War ended in 1865, the Freeman's Bureau sent William H. Gleason to Florida to report his feasibility to make South Florida witness a home for former slaves. Once Gleason saw South Florida, he wanted it for himself. He acquired particles of land and a temporary office and claimed an even claim governor of Florida. He named his black associates Andrew Price and Octavius Amer, County Commission and Chairman of the School Board. In 1870, William Barwell Brickle and his wife Mary and their family came to Miami, came in to Miami from Ohio. 
they bought thousands of acres on the south side of the Miami River and built an Indian trading post at the river's mouth. Even though the federal government offered a free 160 acres to anyone who are living on the land, an improvement of five years took the advantage of the offer. Ralph Monroe, a coconut grove pioneer, described the difficulty life in the late 80s. No more isolated region was to be found in the country and scarcely less productive. The one way to make money to buy manufactured starch. Coptic plants at this area were dug up and the starch was extracted from the roots was sold in King West. Every family had a little mill. <laughs> Coconut Grove became South Florida's first real community after Charles and Isabella Pickup opened a hotel there in 1884 and inaugurated the area's first tourist season. Before long, Coconut Grove have a school, a church, a library, a woman's car, and a yard and yard club. South Florida first black community also began at Coconut Grove. These pioneers came from the Bahamas and was settled what is now Charles Avenue. Another servant named Cutler. Now today now today grew up what is now Southwest 168th Street. In the late 1880s, William Fassar acted through after the road through the den of tropical hemming to, to, to connect Cutler to Coconut Grove. South Florida's other early settlement was Lemon City, what is now today Little Haiti, near today's Northeast 61st Street. In 1892, it became the first community linked by road and stagecoach to points north. This was the South Florida that a Cleveland widow named Julia Tuttle when she meant to put ashore on the north bank of the Miami River in November 1891 to claim 640 acres of wilderness she has just purchased. <laughs> she began to campaign to defend Henry Flagler to bring his railroad and strings of luxury hotels on the down coast of the Miami River. I will give you one and hundred acres of land, reserving my home lot. I will give you one half of the rename of the fourth Dallas property, as made most thought and disciple, to lay a town at your expense. Flagger answered cautiously, I reversed your proposal on the base upon extension on the East Coast line to Miami. It seems to me that it's safe on committal on my part. After the killer freed his blanket in North Florida in 1894, destroying the entire citrus crop, Mrs. Tuttle sent Flagger an orange blossom to prove South Florida was untouched by the cold. Flagger replied, I am officially encouraged. I believe we can complete the railroad to the Miami River. Flagger's man John Sewell and his labor force 
arrived in March 1896 to break ground for Flagler's Royal Palm Hotel. He wrote, I found Miami on woods. Minnesota opened up Miami Avenue Avenue D from the Miami River North to Southwest 2nd Street. There's several shacks and tents started on the street. On April 22nd, 300 residents greeted the first officially passenger train. They pulled up to the main ship platform, ship platform, what is now Flagler Street. On July 28, 344 men and one third of the one third black gathered upstairs in the lobby pool hall and then incorporated the city of Miami. The first to register was Simon Austin, one of the black men who came to build the city. By December 1896, the new city was firmly established. Firmly established. Isidore Cohen, an early merchant, described the city. Miami looks like a real town. Avenue D, line, and store buildings, and merchants are doing a good business. And then, tragedy struck. On Christmas night, fire broke out at Brady's grocery store. Before it was extinguished, three blocks of the new town burned to the ground. Despite the fire, Flagler's luxurious Royal Palm Hotel opened three weeks later. Built of wood and painted bright yellow, a Flagler trademark. It had 450 A 578-foot veranda with your saltwater swimming pool. Miami recovered quickly and developed so that everyone quickly and developed so rapid that everyone called it the Magic City. Miamis were terrified when the USS Maine was blown up in Havana Harbor in April 1898 and the United States declared war on Spain. Flagler saw the war was an opportunity and convinced the federal government to send 7,200 troops to, Ju- to Miami in July, which at the time of the population born in- to 2,000. Bombing about to 2,000. Living conditions were so permanent, the one soldier wrote, wrote, if I own both Miami and hell, I ran out of Miami living in hell. Fortunately for everyone, when the war ended a month later, and Miami's got back to the business of building, building their city. As Miami entered the 20th century, the magic city was beginning to look like a respectable southern town. The 20th Century in Miami A new era began in 1911 when the city's father bought their first 
airplane. The salary mine is 15 birthday. A few months later, renowned aviator Glenn H. Curtis opened one of the nation's first flying school in Miami. The next year, a New Jersey farmer named John Collins started the bridge across his game bay to the hospitable ocean front land where he was growing coconuts and avocados. When the bridge was halfway completed, Collins convinced Miami's Lumineers brothers and millionaire Carl Fisher to join his adventures. The college bridge opened in 1913 before long the bunkers had turned mangroves forth into Miami Beach. Across the bay, James Deering, a wealthy Chicago industry, was building a greenhouse named the Sky. Style for architecture for South Florida and is still popular today. World War I slowed Miami's development, but spurred its aviation industry. In 1917, the Navy built one of the first fine schools at Dinner Key. At war's end, Miami, like anyone else, what called President Hardy. What President Hardy called a return to normalcy. The years have followed, however, were anything but normal. But normal. They called the boon, and the nation had never seen anything like it. Between 1923 and 1925, the whole city became one frenzy real estate exchange. The air vibrated, the, vibrated the clatter of river church, still scout skyward, skyward. Motor buses roared down Flagler Street, carrying prospects to watch bridges and steam shows converting the outlying swamp and pine barrens into instant cities. <coughs> Carl Fisher, with his with his own brand advertising, began to sell the public on Miami Beach. Will Rogers said, He put in jazz and jazz orchestra and one way excursion advertising free heat all the year round. Rehearse the mosquitoes until they will bite you after you bought. <laughs> George Edgar Merrick, another visionary, Bill Carl Cables. Named after the house his family built here in the turn of the century, Merrick's been mainly on his plan suburb and then had hoped to become the American Rivera. As the greater Miami was booming, clouds began to appear. In late 1925, the railroad declared an embargo all building materials to allow workmen to repair overburning tracks. Frederick Bitter had anything to vote to keep the supplies coming. In January 1926, 
The Prince Valmar capsized in the middle of the channel, closing down the port. By Somerset, the boom was over. After September 17, there was no doubt. Late in the afternoon on September 18, 1926, people emerged from whatever shelters that had found to discover the evil lights of the killer storm that almost blew Miami in its magic away. Kay Pankles remembers the scene. Well, we of course were all emotionally staring right from the bottom of our hearts. I don't know, there's something funny when we had a hard time and see somebody you want to help. And I think I never all these years I live in Miami and felt as close to everyone as we felt. Then people went on a way to do their kindness for other people. They And they find things and bring them all over and say, is that yours? One month after the hurricane, the brand new University of Miami opened up schedule even though they forced to move their classes into a, into a Bangkok department hotel. Miami was entering a depression. A bust. The great boom of the 20s was over, leaving irritant skeletons of half-finished dreams reaching in the sun. In the midst of all glow one. In the midst of all the gloom, one bright, bright spot through the dark skies shone. In the midst of all the gloom, one bright spot shone through the dark skies. Aviation became Miami's depression child. The city's best hope for the future. In 1927, a small airline called Pan America received mail contests between Key West and Havana. The following year, Pan Am moved his operations to Miami and introduced passenger service from Nassau, Havana, and San Juan. Because Miami was depending on a good tourist to survive, the city went on to please the tourists. Sometimes the search to please went too far. <laughs> but it was illegal but fun. Miami had it. Elizabeth Lickner prohibited the 18th Amendment flowing through Miami, the leakiest spot in America. Along with the boons, there were several partially Gambling clubs in Miami and Miami Beach, Miami and Miami Beach, offering open in defiance of the law. In 1928, Al Capone, king of the underworld, moved to Miami. From his mansion on Palm Island, Scarface and his organization gained control of Miami's Virgin Rapids. 
<coughs> Miami had paid an enormous price to keep the tourists happy. It was hard to be happy in New York dirty happy. <laughs> It was hard to be happy in the early 30s. Depression was worldwide. Banks failed. Miami defaulted on its bonds and Coral Gables was bankrupt. Thousands of Miamis lost their homes. Mortgages were foreclosure and properties were sold for taxes on the stats of the new impressive new courthouse. Real estate can be purchased for a song. A few can carry it. <coughs> D.A. Dorsey was a notable inspection. He accumulated real estate all over the county by becoming Dade's first black millionaire. Dorsey shared with his wealth with the community by providing land for high school, library, and park. Americans have been happy in three years as they are today, wrote Will Rogers. Even though they have no money, no bank, no work, no nothing, they had a new president elect, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and a new deal. A month before his inauguration, Roosevelt came to Miami to vacation on Fenton's Fenton yacht. Before he returned north, he, he agreed to stop at a rally in Bayfront Park. On the eve of February 15, 1933, over 20,000 people cheered the president left, and he spoke from his open convertible. We will fall. We will fall. Unnoticed in the crowd was Giuseppe Zangara, an employee Italian bricklayer with a hatred for authority. Just as Roosevelt finished, Sangara fired. Chicago Mayor Anton Cermak, standing next to Roosevelt, fell, along with four other bystanders. When Cermak died two weeks later, Sangar was tried for murder and sentenced to death in an electric chair. 33 days after he almost changed the course of history, St. Gar was executed at Rayford. Franklin Daniel Roosevelt became president on March 4, 1933. Before the day was over, he put an aggressive of recovery into action. Miami was benefit for the New Deal Alphabet Soup Agency Institute to get the company moving again. The CCC, Civilian Conservation Corps, employed young men to work in the nation's park. They built some of the first public parks in South Florida, including North Dade's Grendel's Park, where they created Miami's only mountain. The PWA, Public Works Administration, began a massive construction program across the country when it includes public buildings in Miami. The PWA also built Liberty Square. Florida's first black housing project. Father John Comer and the Negro Service League instigated the project through a Miami Health Esposé of slum conditions in Miami. 
By the mid-1930s, tourism prosperities were rolling back into South Florida on a new, on a new diesel streamlined trains. For the first time, airplanes vying with trains for tourist travels to Miami. The beautiful water of Biscayne Bay became the runway for Pan American's flying clippers, clippers and the gateway into the Americas for thousands of visitors. Across the bay, Miami Beach was booming. Over, over hundreds of new hotels and apartments opened in record time, giving the beach a new look. Sleek, streamlined, and the whole nation was singing about Miami. Moon over Miami was number one of the hit parade. On New Year's Day 1935, 5,000 football fans crowned on nation bleachers to watch Bucknell defeat the University of Miami in the first Orange Bowl game. The Orange Bowl parade was added the following year. <laughs> As South Florida marched into the new decade, war ranged in Europe and store clowns gathered at home. We interrupt this program to bring you supply from the NBC newsroom. The president just announced from the White House the Japanese have bombed Pearl Harbor. After the initial shock, life in South Florida seemed to return to normal. It was all in long, stand at store and watch short away shorts on my beach. On February 19, 1942, a German U boat had torpedoed an American tanker and a full view of Florida shorts. During the next two months, burning ships were a common sight in the Florida Straits. As under, as Hitler's honest sea raiders grew bolder and bolder. Early in 1942, Miami Beach welcomed the United States Army. More than 300 beach hotels and apartments filled with army officers and the con or deeds who were going, who were undergoing their four-month dream. Their Jones, no, who have a phone? Golf courses became drill fields, and restaurants became mess halls. Before the war's end, one quarter all of all the army, army, air officers, and one fifth of the enlisted men had joined in Miami Beach. Miami's Dupont Building became the headquarters for the Navy's Gulf Sea Frontier, the nation's first line of defense against the German submarines. The South Chasers opened the port of Miami and the Navy built the world's largest wooden hangar at Richmond Field, now the site of the Metro Zoo, which is now Zoo Miami, to house blimps used to spot German submarines. Miami stepped the transformation of their city and strike. Black Owls, Air Rays, Rational rationing Vichy Gardens and War Bombs. Everyone participated in the war effort. The war ended in 
The war ended in August 1945. After four young, long years, the boys were coming home. Thousands of GI had trained in Miami during the war. Remember the sand in their shoes and made Miami do new home. South Florida population soared. The causeway to Key Biscayne started before the war was completed. A name for war, her war hero Eddie Rickenbacker. Rickenbacker caused Frank provided access to a beautiful beach pond, beach pond park for whites, named after the county commission called the father of the county park system. The county became the county built a separate park for blacks. On Virginia Key. For the first time in Miami history, blacks had a place to swim. That same year, a very wet tropical storm caused extensive flooding in Long Line area. The Army Corps of Engineers began a major flood controlling plant at South Florida. <coughs> As a result, more and more of the Everglades was taken away from the birds and alligators and open development and waterfront. Not everyone believed. So, not everyone believed that the evidence existed to be true. For many years, individuals like Ernest Cole and a group like the Florida Federal Nation of Women's Club and the Everglades Park Committee tried to protect this unique wilderness. Their dreams came true in 1947 when President Harry Truman dedicated the Everglades National Park. Miami, Black Miamians were still waiting for their dreams to come true. Segregation of the races was described by both law and custom. Miami was really two worlds, one Black and one white, and rarely did the two worlds meet. The Sarah of Black Miami was overtime. It developed its own unique identity with the sense of pride in its people. Arthur King remembers this era. Everybody called that area Color Town, a fried business community. It was downtown to us. The cultural lack warm backbone of this community was the churches, Booker T. Washington Senior High School, and numerous city clubs, and churches Stanley Sweden and ATS kept us well informed. James E. Scott helped us help ourselves, and despite the difficulties of segregation, there was a sense of pride, <coughs> and the fact the people lived in there felt good on some. <laughs> when world entertainers such as Billie Holiday, Nat King Cole, the East Buck, Hack Calloway, Count Bates, and Elephant Joe came to Miami, they stayed in Overtown. These superstars also performed in Overtown's Rockland Palace, Mary Elizabeth Calvary, and the Hollywood Square Club where Ella Fitzgerald introduced her famous song, Artistic Atasket. Be 
around and around. In the late 1940s, black men in the Vatican with Miami segregation society. After being forcibly removed from the Orange Bowl Stadium, blacks were later allowed to attend events, but required to sit in the seventh section in the end zone. In 1948, Elizabeth Burek and father Theodore Ginston teamed out to attack the slum province in the Coconut Grove black community. They were Coconut Grove citizens for slum clearance and instigated refundum to correct the most serious condition. This violation effort to be proved to be accomplished when the two worlds worked together for change. The decade ended with the beginning of the new era, as WTBJ Forest's first television station went on the air in March 1949. As the 50s began, some of the magic returned to Miami. But there was a sight to the magic scene was more like an evil spell. Miami became a winner against the capital of the world. A group of influ influential people organized the Greater Miami, Greater Miami Crime Commission, as well as used newspaper editors and radio broadcast and editorial and radio broadcast and political pressure to expose the seamy side of South Florida. Advised the in 1950, the commission brought Senate crime fighter S.S. Keefoffer to Miami to investigate Miami's crime scene. Keefoffer and the Crime Commission brought to light the very thing that Miami had tried to keep in the dark. And WTVJ broadcast the unpleasant right in to everyone's living room. Um, in October 1950, another strong hurricane buffeted Miami. These winds were insignificant. Were comparing to the winds of change that were blow that, that were blowing in. The post-war boom bought South Florida half a new half a million new residents. Miami birth. Versus boundaries and new roads, calling strawberries and new shopping craft westward. <coughs> South Florida's 50 year preoccupation with tourism and development had created a playground with a notable cultural A playground with a notable for cultural desert. Several private groups like the Greater created a several private groups like the Greater Miami Opera Girl, which is started in nineteen forty one, struggled along staging performance with local churches and school auditoriums. In the early nineteen fifties, Dade County and Miami Beach built new auditoriums for cultural events. In nineteen fifty two, war renowned Contractor Mary Anderson integrated Dade County Auditorium 
what she refused to sing in a segregated audience. About the same time, the Museum of Science was born at an old house on Biscayne Boulevard. Another old house, the beautiful Via Sky, was acquired by Bay County. The 1954 Brown decision outlined segregated schools created shockwaves in the white community. Before the decade ended, two public schools in Miami were integrated at their governor Lee Lloyd Collins in marked contrast to other seven governors. Contrast to other seven governors, that segregation is morally wrong. The Supreme Court decision is here to stay. I America must find a just sound way to resolve these crises. I like to say all of our people now they may ride the bus out of frame. We hope to eliminate discrimination in all public accommodations here in the city of Miami. Do you plan to go beyond to beyond demonstrating to uh, other places? Yes, we certainly do. We tend to our our areas where. Yes, we certainly do the ten ten all yes, where 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 is where is racial discrimination? Discrimination. Sorry for the delay, we'll be right with you guys. More changes came in July 1957 where Metro South Florida's unique two-cure government was officially launched. It was not an election that brought Fidel Castro into power in Cuba in, 1950, in January 1959. It was a revolution. At the time, no one realized that the change of the course in history of both Cuba and Miami. Miami was a custom change. Its entire history was written in short paragraphs. But no one was prepared for the dramatic changes the 60s would bring. 
Soon after Castle came to power, re people realized that he was not the pretend to be. As a result, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Cubans fled their homeland and poured into Miami for what they believed they would be temporary exile. An organization of Cuban asylum in Miami, known as the Democratic Fund, planned to invade faction to free Cuba, aided by the U.S. Central Intelligence Agency. 1,300 men of the Brigade 2506 left Miami's Oklahoma Airport and on my plane for further training in Guatemala. For further training in Guatemala. On April 17, the 19, on April 17, 1961, the Bay of Pigs invasion began. Jose Rafa a member of the beginning. Recalls his experiences. We all thought that we were going hand in hand with the United States and they were helping us and they were behind. Really, we did nothing that we were going did nothing that we were going to lose. We thought we thought they would help no. Now, help us come. The theme of the baby face, I was expected to die and we was not expected to lose. This was the only beginning. This was the only beginning, beginning of the serious problem with Fidel Castro. In October 1962, trains and trucks carried military personnel. Rumble through Miami. Ten cities sprang up the outskirts of town and anti aircraft crowded in South Dade's tomato fields. On October 22nd, President Kennedy addressed the nation with frightening news. Shall be the pause in this nation? The regarding nuclear list missiles. Launched from Cuba against any nation in the Western Hemisphere as an attack by the Soviet Union on the United States, requiring a full recall response on this on the Soviet Union. I call on Chairman Kusha to halt and eliminate this clandestine, reckless, and threat to world peace. And a stable, stable between our two nations. I call upon to fur. I call upon to further abandon the course of the world. Course of world domination. And join nation.
world domination and join the historic effort to end the planet's on race and to transform the history of man. America and the Soviet Union had come to bring a nuclear war. The crisis ended on October 28th when the Soviet agreed to remove the missiles if the United States had if the United States promised not to invade Cuba or allow anyone else to. For the first time, Miami's 100,000 Cuban refugees realized it will be a long time before they return home. They can return home, if ever. As the condition worsened in Cuba, desperate parents sent their children to Miami alone. The Catholic Church organized Pedro Pan to care of more than 14,000 unaccompanied children. Miami businessman Amano Condina tells of his experience. I remember the first night I stayed in the Camera Cumbre, which is out of the middle of the Everglades. To me, it was the end of the world when we got there. I remember it was a very long, a very long cabinet. Four kids packed and only to hear that the kids were crying for their mother. I think the parents sent their children made the ultimate sacrifice parenting me. More Cuban refugees came to came into Miami with the inauguration of the Freedom Flights. Between 1965 and 1973, South Florida observed a new Cuban refugee every seven minutes. The old Miami News Tower became the Freedom Tower. Miami's own Statue of Liberty to continue to continue dreams of people willing to risk all for freedom. George Felder Christ remembers those difficult days. In those days, whatever you will step down, you felt that you were a second class citizen would inquire. And also you come from any situation that you will feel were second. We're in second class. If you're going to be yourself, you have nothing. You don't know the language. You don't have a friend. You don't have a relative in place. You need to get a telephone. You don't have anybody, anybody who signed for you. There was a lot of things that were well, difficult, very difficult. In late 1962, Miami's Cuban refugees rejoiced when many of the big prisoners were free for food and change for food and medical supplies. President Kennedy came to Miami to personally thank the returning heroes and emotionally gathered at the Orange Bowl. He returned to Miami only a few months before he was cut down by an assassin's bullet in Dallas. I think it's time for America to start moving again. After President Kennedy's death in November 1963, the 60s turned into a time of dissolution and division, the time, the time to address all grievances. Four of Seminoles sued the federal government, demanding companions for stolen land and broken promises.
One little, two little, three little limbs, more four little, five little, six more seven little, eight little, ten little limbs. And then we try to have always, anyways, and we can have misconceiving to have better lives and better living and believing. And as cases, this is what we're here, and this is what we hold to work for. Oh, sweeties! Yeah! Every Friday night, Jack Cleese reminds the nation how great he wants to be in South Florida. And away he goes! All kinds of people came to Miami and Miami Beach to see for themselves. Yeah, we love the ball. Yeah, right. All back to Miami? World too. Yeah, it's great. Dade County's population was more than a million and county. Not everyone thought better was not everyone thought better was better environments. Stop the construction of the jet board in the Everglades and slow down the drench along the symbol of South Florida development. For the first time, mangoes and estuaries had equal ability with with filled canals and water from lots. Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, a legendary defender of the environment, town of the moment to protect South Florida's most valuable resource. Well, the birds and the fish, let's destroy the mangoes and fill in to in the bucket line that destroy natural habitats and sea creatures and molantons. We're fighting for the resource resources. Particularly water, because without water, this place would be. The Florida Legislation created John Pennington Park to protect the last water reef. And Bill Bill Bass Cape's Florida State Park to preserve Miami's oldest historic landmark, the Cape Florida Lighthouse. And August 9th, in August of 1968, one of King most famous visitors, Richard Nixon, received the Party King Party nomination for president at the GOP convention held in my held at Miami Beach. As he made his session speech, the violence tore the nation that writ Miami. It was the Liberty City Time Bomb, Well, anyway, we're going to continue on with the second part of Our Miami, the Magic City. With the one in 1968. Please, it's to be continued. Part two of Our Miami. Uh, 
After Richard Nixon became president, his home on Campus King was the vacation White House at Miami, a national date night. Miami entered the 70s, a great awakening, unprecedented challenge, and new opportunities. The first challenge just came seven days. The first challenge just came seven days into the new decade, when federal judge C. Clyde Atkins ruled of the teachers, administrations, and staff of the all of the day count schools must be integrated. Next, he ordered a pair of seventeen forming all white schools with seven all black schools. Day County dual schools was officially dead. There were other big happenings in education. Miami Dade College, born in the sixties, opened its third campus in downtown Miami and was and it's on its way and it's on its way. And it's on its way. And on its way. Way. Way becoming the number one. Becoming the number one community college in America. At long last, South Florida had a state university, Florida International. International was an appropriate name for the new university because Miami was being transformed into an international city with a discreet Latin flair. And the way of authorism bolder to approve multi-million dollar projects for the community. They counted decade of progress, promised a long-weighted culture for cities, museums, Parks, library, parks, a zoo, and a rapid transit system. Spirits continue, continue to soar along the Miami Dolphins' winning streak. In 1972, the Dolphins had a perfect season by topping off by two consecutive. Considered Super Bowl championships. Miami went wild. See, we are here, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, we're talking Super Bowl. That's where the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. And then the bottom fell out. And South Florida plummeted into the most serious recession ever faced since the 1930s. In Washington, four Miamis were arrested and a bizarre break-in at the Democratic Party headquarters in a building named Watergate. Before the investigation was over, President Nixon was implicated and forced to resign from office. By, yet, by the end of the decade, where were real signs that the South Florida economy was 
was on the outside. Mayor Maurice Ferrain's leadership kept Miami's vision focused on its future as a great international city. Our Latin majority was elected to the City of Miami Commission and for the first time a life mom Miami Bob Grant working up his way to the office of Governor of Florida. Life in Miami had changed. There were new faces and new opportunities. One witness to change was M. Affling Range, the first black woman in the city of Miami Commissioner. The pledge to the people of the city of Miami that I will serve all sincerity and integrity. I work with this commission for the back of the city of Miami. All my pleasant on the city commission gave the black people ever since I belong. One of the other great changes that was was that simply need the white members of their city commission more sensitive to the needs of the black people and came to the real station it affects the black people have problems just like other people. Government officials fought to, to South Florida's inviting coast, which became a heaven for drunk smugglers who let the local crime wave in their way. The 70s had been in a watershed in Miami's history by the 80s. By the 80s began, South Florida was once again to look forward to mostly sunny days. The optimist didn't last long. Fidel Castro made about face that announced everyone who wanted to leave Cuba from the port of Mario. The Mario boat lip within an hour, Miami's freedom from teller made up of thousands of small boats that ending flow struck out the Florida streets heading for Mario. During the next few weeks, South Floridians hold on the most incredible sea rescue since World War II's dunk. Miami embraced itself as 125,000 new Cuban refugees poured into the city. Castro infamous jails and forced the good Americans to take more than 25,000 criminals along with the alleged refugees. Just a scene when things could not be any worse. An all-white temper jury acquitted four white policemen in December 1979 beating death of a black insurance agent, Arthur McDuffie. Within hours, the parquet is seen already split in explosion. For three long days, Miami burned. 18 people died and more than a thousand were injured. For the time, the combination of events seemed to overwhelm a strong as a hurricane that waged and hate and fierce cream. Cream in the midst of the maelstrom. 1980s Liberty City riots. Spirits hit the bottom in the fall of 1981 when the dilapidated Haitian boat sank in rough seas and 33 bodies washed ashore. 
even though the tractor occurred 70 miles from Miami to horror and the headlights hit home. The Haitians, those only crying, was not to have Granite Bullock signed language in a grown adult detention center. Then Time Magazine hit the newsstand. Miami protested loudly and passionately. In the midst of all gloom, Bulgarian artist Krzysztof Javachev secured permission to wrap some Biscayne Bay Islands with six of a, six and a half million square feet of pink plastic. Critics call environmental howl when Crystal and his volunteers finished a remarkable thing happened. For the first time in three years, Miami smiled. Peter Yankovic and Michael Mann arrived in a scene to film a new television series called Miami Vice. It became an initial hit and gave Miami and gave Miami image image both good and bad. After years of struggle, South Beach, the dream child of the late Barbara Kaplan, became a hotspot, the place to be. Miami Beach was young again. Across the bay, news newscrisis are rising, and before the decade ended, Miami had a whole new look. War-famous sculptress Ich Ichimoguchi redesigned Bayfront Park. At Bayside, drew people back downtown. Suddenly, Miami was the new American sports camp. And the Miami Arena opened and welcomed the Miami Heat. Ralph Sanchez created the Miami Grand Prix and turned downtown streets into an international speedway. <sighs> the university won four national championships in South Florida sports France, for instance, not since the Dolphins' perfect season. Once again, South Florida attracted people. Including, including major world leaders. Other millionaires purchased homes in Miami and Miami Beach. Miami loves their grown home, their grown soup, sorry, that became national and international celebrities. The 80s and the early 90s, we created a remarkable flower theme. And Miami's much a line cultural desert. The building boom gave light to the 1971 Art and Public Place Ornament. Ken Treister's emotional holocaust on Miami Beach was particularly financed by Holocaust survivors living in South Florida. Miami Beach also walked a new world sympathy. The Miami City Ballet and the Wilsonian Foundation decorated Progana Art Museum. The Port of Miami was a now principal export gateway to Latin America and largest cruise ship in the world. Miami International Airport became the next Miami International Airport became the nation's second busiest international travel and cargo hub. Miami experienced the change of the guard that Cuban Americans that changed political, economic, and social success. 
African Americans also move into new leadership positions. Although the 80 ended on a high note, South Florida, like major metropolitan area, faced with continuous problems with crime, violence, and ethnic and racial strife. Yet, Miami has emerged from the 80s with a new strength, strength of character, force, and their ability to overcome the adversity and adapt to change. This spirit will serve them well in the days to come. As this comes along, it's a close. This swept over that way. On the morning of August 24th, 1992, South Koreans have walked to the second real station after 27 years. A hurricane was headed towards Miami like an arrow to a bull's eye. Destruction came. Cat now. As many people to get on that door, uh -huh. you need to do that because you're going to experience this intense storm for a good while longer. Uh, so, the, uh, so do the best that you can get. Then much can happen, but it's not over. It is likely to get worse again. We have... We have a long time to go. Andrew chose two South Dade towns, Homestead and Florida City, to unleash his greatest might. Few, however, escaped its wrath. Get out of the tragedy and a remarkable rebirth occurred. People following nature's lead reached let reach down to help each other, giving light to a new cooperative spirit. Abba Chapman, leader of We Will Rebuild, tells the recovery effort. We Will Rebuild was the time when Miami came. We will rebuild when Miami came through with flying colors. People of Miami were are very dedicated to the well-being of their community, and we will rebuild experience demonstrating to that dedication. Once again, Miami proved they could. could. Miami's that can survive any kind of storm. Miami is a magic city, but its magic is not concrete, it's concrete than steel. It comes from the sky and the water, the luxury and earth. It comes to divide people old and young, native and new, will come to share this special place and time and build a bright future under this 
Bell of the Warm Sun. I will give you 100 acres of land, reserving my home, and I will give you. I am fishing courage. Fishing courage. I believe we can complete the railroad to the Miami River. The 100 acres of land was written by Julian Tuttle, who became the queen of the city of Miami from birth 1849 to 1898, and Henry Parker, who was, became the founder of the Sander Oil and, and the Florida East Coast, read the details on the birth of the city of Miami right before 1896. I don't know, there was something very funny and hard time and see some buddy there. That was the legendary survivor of the 1926 Great Miami Hurricane, Mrs. Pan K. Pancos. The late Ralph Nerick says, as the 50 began, some of the magic returned to Miami. He was best remembered for the Ralph Rennick Report. He had covered many stories as Fidel Castro's power in Cuba and a bunch of many stories, including the Hurricane Donna landfall in 1960. Because without water, this place will be a desert. That will be Marjorie Stallman Douglas, who was a journalist of the Miami Hero, writer, feminist, and environmentalist. Was like an activist. Uh, she did the right thing to do is to protect the Everglades, because she did the right thing to do is did the right thing to do is tell the government to stop construction of the jet board in the Everglades. She was the Presidential Medal of Freedom, and everyone was so proud of her. There was a school named after her, as you know. What I want to mention is what happened in Parkland last year. It was sad and tragic with all my something went wrong with that situation between everyone. 17 students were killed. As you know, this school was a dedication to her. People of Miami are very dedicated to the well-being of their community. That was Ava Chapman, who became the assistant to Jane L. Knight and chairman of the We Will Rebuild. He became president of the Miami Herald in 1969. Thank you to the people of the city of Miami. This is the Funky Podcast with Omar Gutierrez as we wrapped up the Our Miami documentary. We will talk to some experts tomorrow who live here in City Miami tomorrow. Right here on the Funky Podcast with Omar Gutierrez. Good night, everyone.